1: who doesn't completely agree with that unity. And that adversary, one thing he likes to do, he likes to divide and conquer. He likes to cut one of us out of the herd and start dealing with us in this way, getting us to believe different things, trying to bring it back into the fellowship and then get the fellowship to believe that. He loves the divide and conquer tactic. He takes pleasure in destroying all the unity that believers have. There's nothing better to be united in faith in Jesus Christ as one body.
0: But there's nothing worse the body of Christ to be divided. How often do you see Christians that are divided against each other? In today's message, Pastor Dave talks about how we are called to be united in Christ. We are called to come together, support one another, and work towards a common goal of spreading love, hope, and peace in our communities. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he begins his message, The Ascension of Jesus Christ.
1: Today, we are going to be continuing in the book of Acts, in our study in the wonderful book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, today we are going to be looking at verses 12 through 14, 12 through 14, Acts chapter 1. I'll read aloud if you can read along silently, please. Acts chapter 1 verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The Phillies were playing the Giants. And it was in Philadelphia, and an interesting thing happened. Pitcher Jonathan Sanchez threw this pitch that hit Chase Utley right square in the back. He couldn't have gotten away from him if he tried. So Utley dropped the bat and started to go to first base. But the ball that hit him bounced back, and he caught it right there in his hand. And on his way to first base, he turned and nonchalantly threw it to the pitcher's mound. Now, guaranteed, that's where the ball had to go eventually anyhow, back to the pitcher. Well, Jonathan Sanchez, the pitcher for the Giants, took offense to that, as if Utley was doing it on purpose. Now, I have to remember, he hit Utley in the back with this 93-an-hour fastball. Well, what happened next was crazy. Some words were exchanged, and all of a sudden, the bench is clear. Phillies run out of their dugouts. Giants run out of their dugouts. All these guys coming, all these pitchers coming running in from the bullpen and they're all posturing and things are all happening and stuff like that. Right or wrong, each player was out there to defend their team. Each player was out there to defend what they thought was right. They had each other's back, so to speak. But as I watched this event unfolded, I was truly amazed by one thing. I'm amazed by their unity. Each team had a unity. They were together. They were one of cord. They were of like mind. They had a passion for the game of baseball. They wanted to defend their teammates. Some of these people didn't even know what was happening. I don't know how the pitchers in the bullpen, way out in the bullpen, even could hear what was said and even know what was happening. But as soon as they saw over there, boy, they were there. They all came running out. They were there because they wanted to be in the mix. They wanted to defend their team, right or wrong. They wanted to support their players. And it became evident to me that these teams were of like minds. They had the same passion for the game, a desire to win. They were, shall we say, of one accord. They were like-minded because they wanted to defend their teammate. They came with a cause with them, a like cause. They wanted to win the game. But now, at that particular moment, the only cause they had was to protect their teammate. Each person believed in their fellow teammate, and they had faith in them, and they had their back. It was this unity... That got my attention. It was this unity as they had faith in each other that caused me to take notice. As we began studying the book of Acts, we began looking at distinctives of the early church. What made the early church so powerful? What made the early church so strong, so bold? And we've been looking at several distinctives as we went from verse 1 now down to verse 12. And we said that we looked at the first distinctive which was the main focus of the early church was on Jesus Christ as its head. That was the centrality of what they did. They focused totally on Jesus Christ. And that was the distinctive that made them strong, that made them powerful. We looked at the Holy Spirit. We looked at his work and the relationship that we have to the Holy Spirit and he has with us. That was a distinctive. And we also studied the distinctive of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And we said that at any moment, Christ could come and take his church out, that we would be here with him forever. And we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come today. Today we want to look at another distinctive of the early church, the distinctive of unity. The one important fact for us to see in these verses today is that these believers together in the upper room, and as they continued together in prayer and supplication, as they were seeking the Lord, waiting for the promise of the Father... They were in obedience to Jesus' word. They were in obedience to what God had asked them to do. So they had this togetherness in obedience. They had this togetherness in fellowship. And then they had this togetherness in prayer and supplication. This unity resulted in strength for the church. It's interesting because the word used for unity in our scriptures today is one accord. The word for accord in the Greek is "homothunadom." Homo thunadum. This means of one mind. A one of cord with one passion. This word is used 11 times in the book of Acts. And it's used five times to describe the relationship that these new believers had with each other. Something to think about. The word tells us of the glue that held this group together. And it tells us of a vital distinctive that was part of the early fellowship of believers and I think is vital to any thriving fellowship today, and that's unity. The distinctive of unity. And I looked at three ways in which these believers were in one accord and how this unity became their strength, and we're going to talk about those three ways today. As I've already stated, I've already told you what those three ways were. Let me repeat them for you. They were in one accord in their obedience to the Lord. They were one accord in their fellowship, and they were in one accord in their prayers, and that's what we're going to look at today. Beginning in verse 12, we see these early believers being obedient to the command of the Lord. How? We see these men and women being obedient to the Word of God, which is extremely important. In verse 12, it says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is a sabbath day's journey. Jesus had a conversation with these believers right before he ascended into heaven. He told them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father in Acts 1 verse 4. In order for them to wait in Jerusalem, they had to go back to Jerusalem. They were a Sabbath journey away. A Sabbath journey is about three quarters of a mile because that's all they were allowed to travel on the Sabbath. If they traveled any further, it was considered works. And they weren't keeping the Sabbath. They were disobeying a commandment of God by doing work on the Sabbath. So within that three-quarters of a mile, they could go, but they could go no further. So when you read in there that it was a Sabbath journey, that means about three-quarters of a mile away, was this Mount of Olives that we call it. The new King James calls it the Mount of Olivet. But Jesus told them to do something. They heard the sermon that Jesus preached. They immediately followed it. Now Jesus has gone. They did this all by themselves. Jesus was no longer leading them physically. He had descended into heaven. He was gone, and they started to move. They started to move together. They obeyed this on their own. They followed the Lord's command, and they did exactly what he had asked them to do. They returned to Jerusalem. An interesting fact in Luke's first account of this, remember, we said that the book of Acts was a continuation of Luke's gospel. But an interesting fact in Luke's account, he says in Luke 24, verse 52, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. After Jesus ascended into heaven, the first thing they did was they worshipped him. They were all together in, in one goal, and they worshipped him. We worship God in unity, and there's strength in that worship. There's power in that worship that causes us to be together in unity of, of like mind, of one accord. And that's why worship is so important. It's not just something we do before the message. It has a true meaning. It has true meaning purpose in our hearts. And then they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, it says. Although they might have been sorrowful because Jesus had left them, they rejoiced and joyfully obeyed what he had told them to do. All of them returned to Jerusalem, not one stayed behind. They were rejoicing and praising his name. You know, I could just see all of them. I can just see them all coming back, and they're walking, right? It's about three-quarters of a mile, and they start walking about, and they start to talk about and recounting everything that happened. And as they're talking, I can imagine their pace picked up, and they started walking faster, and they're talking to each other about how wonderful it is, and, yeah, what about the promise of the Father? Oh, yeah, the promise of the Father. And they probably started walking faster, thinking if they got back to Jerusalem faster, immediately when they got back there, the promise of the Father would come. They didn't actually know when it was going to happen. So I can see them walking and enjoying this. They really And their pace quickens up and they got back there. Now consider this situation. Consider their plight. Consider their problem, if you will. What have they been asked to do? They had been asked to go back to Jerusalem. What happened in Jerusalem 40 some odd days before that? Jesus was killed. Jesus was crucified. He was tortured in Jerusalem. He was arrested. They were hunted down. They all scattered. They all ran about. Now, they went back to Jerusalem. They might be thinking, wait a minute, shouldn't we be fearful for our lives going back into Jerusalem? What if we get back in there and they arrest us? What if we get back in there and they try us? Some of us could die. But that didn't stop them. They moved forward with boldness. They moved forward thinking about that. They had a common mind. They were like mine. They had one passion, and that passion was to obey the Lord. See, there is no fear when you're obeying the Lord. When the Holy Spirit gives you something to do and you step out and do it, there should be no fear. Why? Because you're in God's will. What can man do to you? What can happen to you if you're following God's rule? There shouldn't be any fear at all. When the Lord gives you a command, you should do it gladfully, gleefully, hopefully, joyfully. Something that you want to do when he gives you that command, knowing that he's going to give you the strength to complete it, to follow it out, and he'll be there right away. He always gives us the power to obey. And when you are faithful in obedience, blessings follow. When you're faithful in obedience, blessings follow. And in these blessings, we see unity. The blessing of oneness, togetherness, which is huge and powerful. They were one in accord in their obedience to the Lord. This obedience to the Lord led to unity. And this unity led to strength, led to power. So we see that the believers were one of accord in obedience. And in verse 13... We see that these believers were in one accord in fellowship. They were one accord in fellowship one to another. It says, "Then when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Now remember, there were two Judases. One was already, the betrayer had already hung himself and was not among them. This is not the same Judas. He was Judas of Scariot. This is Judas, the son of James. When they went into Jerusalem, the first place they went was to their safe harbor. The first place they went was to the safe house, the upper room. Now, there's a lot of discussion about which upper room this is. Was it the same upper room that they had the Last Supper in, where they had Passover and where Jesus instituted the Last Supper? Was this an upper room in the temple that a lot of them believed that they were there during Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit fell upon them? Luke tends to support this temple theory if you go back to his gospel again in Luke 24, verse 53. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So Luke supports this theory that it might have been an upper room in the temple because the temple had these upper rooms for meetings and stuff like that. They may have been in one of those upper rooms. We don't know. I don't think it's important where they were. I don't think it's important which upper room they were in. The important part was they were together. They were in unity. They were of one accord. They were worshiping and fellowshipping together. King David, the psalmist, writes in Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. There's a pleasantness when we're in unity. There's a strength when we're in unity. There's a power when we're in unity. And that togetherness is a bond that no one can break. It's only a bond connecting us together in one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. That's the one thing we all have in common. We all come from different families. We all come from different backgrounds and different places. But we all have one thing in common, and that's Jesus Christ. And he is the glue that holds us together. He's the bond that keeps us together. I mean, let's face it. If you think about it, a lot of us might not fellowship if it hadn't been for Jesus Christ. We might not have even known each other or got to know each other's lives if it hadn't been for our love and same passion for Jesus Christ. And it's pleasant. The Apostle Paul urges the Ephesian church to do likewise, he says, in Ephesians 4 verse 3. He says, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is to be an endeavor for us. Endeavor simply means to make haste, to be zealous, to be diligent. Sounds like work. Yeah, yeah. Unity is work. Unity is not a natural thing. It doesn't come naturally. To be united with someone does not come naturally. We have to work at it. And we should not take this lightly. Paul says to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 18, if as much as possible that depends on you, we should seek to live at peace with one another. It takes work to live at peace. We should always be striving to keep the unity of the faith. Being in unity is a wonderful existence when the saints of Christ are the ones enjoying it. That baseball team was in unity, but they didn't have Christ as their center. And believe me, that unity is going to fall apart. In fact, for the Giants, it probably started to fall apart when they actually lost the game. Why did we win? Well, they all probably stood around the locker room like this. Everybody was pointing to somebody different. You know, blame. Excuses. Unity falls apart when that happens. Unity starts to fall apart. But remember what Christ prayed? In John 17, verses 21 to 22, he prayed to the Father that we would be one with him just like he was one with the Father and that we would all be one together. That was Jesus' prayer, oneness. He wanted to know that we should experience this great power of unity. He said this was the will of God for his people and it's the will today for God and his church that we would dwell together in unity with oneness, one of core but we have an adversary. We have an adversary who doesn't completely agree with that unity. And that adversary, one thing he likes to do, he likes to divide and conquer. He likes to cut one of us out of the herd and start dealing with us in this way, getting us to believe different things, trying to bring it back into the fellowship, and then get the fellowship to believe that. He loves the divide and conquer tactic. He takes pleasure in destroying all the unity that believers have. There's nothing better to be united in faith in Jesus Christ as one body, but there's nothing worse than for the body of Christ to be divided. Nothing worse at all. If you've ever experienced that division, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's nothing worse than when the body of Christ divides. We must do what we can to stand strong against the temptation to break fellowship with brothers and sisters in the family of God. I think it's very interesting, and I have, to have, I have this written in my notes. This is an aside here. On Friday, as I was sitting here before the Lord and I was putting this message in my computer, right when I got to this point, talking about our adversary, talking about how he likes to divide us, out of nowhere, on this beautiful sunny day, a power surge runs through my house. Boom. Television goes out. Computer goes out. Everything goes out. I went, okay. And then all of a sudden, everything banged back. Well, first thing I do was check my computer, I lost nothing. See, Satan doesn't want you to hear that message. He doesn't want you to hear what happens when churches divide. He doesn't want you to hear when brothers divide, when sisters divide, when there's problems in between the fellowship. Because when there's a division, the body of Christ bleeds. And that hurts. He didn't want us to hear that. You know, a church is like a family. It's like a family. And just like most families, everybody has different opinions, and we all have difficulties. But we're still one Family, the family of God. Just like those baseball teams are a family. Just like those baseball teams were a unified unit. But our unity is spiritual and something so much more deeper. So much deeper than that. Our unity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the church has been called to oneness, not sameness. We've been called to oneness. Satan is the father of all lies. He would have us focus on our brother's fault. Look at him. It's funny, you know, because my sin looks much worse on you than it does on me. And when I see you in my sin, oh, oh, it's okay for my sin to be on me, but for you, how dare you? We start looking at each other's faults, and we start pointing it out. Satan would try to convince us that I don't have any faults. I don't know about you, but I'm faultless. He would try to convince us that I'm the greatest of the kingdom. What did the disciples constantly fight about all along the way? Every time they were walking with Jesus, I'm better than you are. No, I'm greater. No, I'm greater. No, I mean, all the time you're reading scriptures how they fought constantly about who was the greatest, which one. This is a problem. And it's a type of critical spiritual judgment that only comes from the pit of hell. We know this because it causes division. It causes division. Look who was in the upper room at the time they gathered. Look at what could have happened. Look at what could have happened. It could have been very, very easy for the spirit of division to come into this beautiful assembly of people. I mean, after all, the members of the Lord's family were there, Mary and the brothers of Jesus, Mary the mother, they could have said, hey, we're blood. We deserve special honor. We deserve special treatment. Somebody could have said, yo, Peter, you denied the Lord. Why are you here? Peter would have said, well, it was John that took me to the high priest's house. You can read about that in John 18, 15 through 16. It was John that took me to the house. I really didn't want to. John could have said, hey, everybody, remember? I was the one standing at the cross. I was the one standing here watching our Savior die. All you guys ran away. Hey, wait a minute. I'm the one that he said to me, take care of my mom for me, will you? Hey, it was me, guys, so I deserve a pretty high spot. They could have all said that. They could have done that. But they didn't, none of this happened. In fact, we read that there was no argument at all. There was no more who was the greatest. And if you go through the scriptures, especially in the Last Supper in the book of John, you find that they were talking about who was the greatest even at the table of the Last Supper. They were still talking about who was the greatest. But none of this happened. They all were like-minded, they're all one accord. They all were like passion, a passion for Jesus Christ because the main focus was only Jesus Christ. And I've told you this before, I have friends that differ with me on some of my theology, especially the eschatology, study of end times. They don't believe that Jesus will come and rapture the church. They believe that we have to go through the tribulation. I do not believe that. But the fact when we get together and we focus on Jesus Christ, we can be one. We can be of one mind because Jesus becomes the center focus of what we talk about. Because all of that other things, guess what, folks? It'll all work out. And it has absolutely nothing to do with my salvation. Absolutely nothing at all to do with my salvation. Nothing. But it will all work out. Paul, as he so eloquently does sometimes, sums all this up in Galatians 3, verse 28. He wrote to the church of Galatia this way. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you, and I put church in parentheses, are all one in Christ. See, there's no difference between any of us. There's no difference when we're in Christ. We're all the same. You are a sure hope.
0: You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition! Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you liked this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to assurehoperadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.